Hey, it's Adam here. We're getting ready to launch season three of Deep Convection. But it's been a long time since season two, so we thought we'd check in before getting into the proper episodes with new guests. And so this is a little season opener with my co-creator and creative director, Melanie Bielli, and me. A lot of the podcasts, as you know if you've been listening at all, is about scientists' life trajectories and how they make decisions and how they're buffeted about by the random external factors of life in the larger world. So first, I took the opportunity to catch up with Melanie herself about what's gone on with her since she was a guest on the podcast in season one. Spoiler alert, there's been a few of those, decisions and random external factors, that is. And after that, we catch up with me a little and then get into some reflections on the podcast, both this season in particular, and more broadly, how it's evolved since we started. And then we give a little preview of some themes and other hints about the content of season three. So that's it. Here's Melanie and me warming things up for a new season of Deep Convection. All right. Okay. Hi, Adam. Hi, Melanie. Here we are, getting ready for season three. Yeah. It's exciting. So, um, what I thought we could start with is, um, before we get to talking about this season of the podcast and what it's going to be about, I thought we could kind of do an, a, a real-time document of one of our guests' life, that being you. So, you were the last episode of season one you were the guest of the last episode of season one and we recorded that and i know the dates very well because it was when we were on a field campaign in costa rica yeah i think it so was that was august august 2019 and i think you had just defended your thesis right you haven't yeah, actually graduated right. yet and so that was two and a half years ago and wow. um yeah, right? Yeah. And, you know, the podcast is about people's lives and the decisions they make and the random things that happen to them in their careers as scientists and in their lives as human beings. And um, so at that time, you were at a transition point. You're finishing your PhD and uh, you had a whole bunch of plans and, and um, hopes for the next period of your life. <laughs> it sounds like... You're already anticipating that uh, those hopes were crushed and things did not <laughs> well, turn out the no, way I wanted them to turn out at all. Maybe we shouldn't focus on hopes, but you had a bunch of plans of things you wanted to do next and an idea of where you were going to be and what you were going to be doing. And so I wanted to start with what those, uh, first of all, for you to say again, since it was a long, you know, so that people don't have to go back and listen to that episode again to understand this one. What were you planning to do next at that time and what ended up happening? So I probably, at the time we were doing this recording um, in Costa Rica, I probably said that was, I was going to move to California to do a postdoc at Caltech. Right. And I actually did that. I moved to Pasadena, uh, I think in October 2019. I started my postdoc. And... Yeah. Okay. Let's see what happened since then. Um, I, in December of the same year, uh, I got pregnant. Then 
the pandemic began um, in the beginning of 2020. I moved to Chicago in May of 2020 to join my husband because we thought it would be a great idea to now finally move in together now that we were going to be parents. Yeah. Um, our daughter, Zyra, was born in August 2020. Um, I mean, all the time I just continued to work remotely for Caltech. And then in the summer of this year, we moved to Portland, Oregon. Yeah. I still work at Caltech. Still, I, I, I still am a postdoc. Um, I'm, but I'm also now in this transition from academia to the private sector. Yeah. So yeah, I'm in the middle of my job search. Yeah. What else? Um, I started well, taking Olympic weightlifting classes. <laughs> really? Wow. I mean, you were a jock before, but I, I didn't know it was getting to be Olympic. Olympic well, weightlifting doesn't mean you're actually going to be in the Olympic. In it. it does not. I was going to say, it just has the word Olympic in it, which is this just kind of a special technique of weightlifting. It doesn't what mean that What makes Olympic you're... weightlifting? Um, so it's, it's essentially, it's two disciplines. It's, um, uh, snatch, which is what I'm trying to learn, which is when you start, um, with, um, a barbell that's, I mean, ideally loaded with lots of weight plates on the floor. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. the idea is to get that, um, to overhead position in one continuous motion. That's a right, snatch. Right, right, right. Okay. It's pretty, it's pretty difficult, but it's also a lot of fun trying to learn. Depends how heavy it is. It depends on, on I mean, no, honestly, actually, it's, it's even difficult with very little weight. Just getting getting the movement right is, is hard. Uh, uh. But I mean, so anyway. the reason, I, yeah, we can get into the weightlifting. I mean, we actually, we could do a long segment on, on weights. Um, uh, you, you and your husband are both very serious about this, I know. But but let's let's go back to the, the hopes and dreams. So but, but so my recollection, though, is that all of that, Almost all of those things you described after the postdoc in Caltech was rather different from from what the initial plans had been because... Remind me, what were my initial plans? Okay, this is how I remember it. Tell me if I got it wrong. <laughs> the Caltech thing was going to be six months long. Yeah. There was going to be no no children born. Yeah. And the moving to Chicago and Portland, although your husband was there, it that was possible because of the pandemic in a way. Because like everybody else, you suddenly could work remotely. And Portland too, right? Because you're Portland happened because my husband, well, lost his job, and that meant that we were essentially free to move right. wherever we wanted to. Yeah, since I was right. wor working remotely anyway. Yeah. Yeah. No, I think I would have said that my initial guess was that postdoc was going to be for nine months. But other than that, you're completely correct that you know none of these events were planned. I mean, so the, yeah. the pandemic derailed everybody's life. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I was going to say, I mean, uh, yeah, a large part of it is also the pandemic, which I think messed with almost everyone's plans. Yeah. And how's the postdoc gone? Yeah. So, uh, I mean, obviously it's taking longer than I thought it would, but it's also, I mean, I'm also working on this postdoc while being a mother and also while, yeah, actually also trying to transition into private sector. So yeah. postdoc post has been fun. I've learned a lot, but I've also learned that 
I don't want to stay in academia. Yeah. And yeah. And also, I mean, with the remote work, we can talk about that, but I find it difficult. Yeah. I mean, yeah. it's a net positive, I guess, because we can live in Portland, which is a super beautiful place. And we would not be able to live here if it were not for remote work. But I find the experience of working remotely a little isolating, to be honest. Absolutely. And yeah, and I'm looking forward to being in an office job again. But yeah, no, I for for a while I was going back and forth on the question of whether to stay in academia or not. Um, but I think really? yeah, I've yeah, because of you. Um <laughs> <laughs> no, not just because of you, but for a long time, I didn't even consider it, you know, a realistic option. I didn't even yeah. think that this would be something that I'd be able to do. And yeah. eventually I came to consider it as a more realistic option, but then also realized that it is not what I want. I mean, things are never black and white, but I think overall life outside academia is it's going to be a happier life for me at least i can't generalize that but for me i think this is true how about your life summary of your last two and a half years well no new children <laughs> <laughs> the same too congratulations older. i guess <laughs> yeah so i had the last two and a half years as you know because you've spoken to me many times like really the last five years have been very challenging I, you know i've had my own midlife crisis issues professionally most of all been deeply distressed by u.s national politics and world politics and and the catastrophe of u.s politics i don't know you know i feel like it start of course obviously it started before the pandemic but I, I can't help thinking that everybody's I was just gonna that ask much you crazier. You think that, yeah, whether you think that situation has improved or not with Well, I mean, obviously Biden's Trump's election. not president. Yeah, I mean, Trump's not president anymore. And um, so that's a huge improvement. And He's not president for the time being. He's not least. president for the time being. And I also, in the last couple of months, took the very positive step of almost entirely removing myself from social media, which oh. I think is good for my state of mind. So yeah. I'm a little less, it makes me a little less momentarily exposed to yeah. everything. So no Twitter, no Facebook. No, I, no, I quit Facebook I, entirely. I deleted my account from Facebook entirely a couple of years ago, but Twitter I was still on. I had stopped tweeting some time ago mostly, but I was still reading it and now I don't even do that. Mm -hmm. I still have the account, but I don't really use it. Maybe I'll use it to put out tweets about our podcast episodes when they come out, but that's probably mm -hmm. about it. So that helps my mental state. But and you know, with with Trump out, it's easy to kind of detach from it a little bit now and and not be focused on it. But I, I think the direction the country's going is still terrifying because the Republican Party's become totally anti democratic and you know, they didn't Trump didn't manage to overturn the election last time, but clearly setting up to do it next time and it's and you know what he wants or doesn't want is one thing but the party seems behind him mostly with relatively i mean a little dissent but not a lot that's easily visible 
Yeah, and, no, uh, I we've think, never. Yeah, it's I terrifying. Agree. I find it absolutely terrifying. Yeah, it's it's kind of strange because I mean I agree that the threat to democracy is real, and at the same time it's kind of less, you know, in your face. Yeah. Um, as when That's right. Trump was was president, and you could you know read about all the outrageous things that he did every every single day of his presidency. Even though I, yeah, I, I decided or I I stopped following the, the news closely years ago already. Mm. I feel like it's not it's not helpful. I prefer weekly or monthly magazines. I find that's a that's a good filter. Yeah. I still read the newspaper every day, but yeah, it's so, I don't know. So I'm feeling a little bit less distressed daily about it. Although when I think about it, it's still, I'm still quite, quite uh, unhappy about the state of the country, but I guess I'm, I feel that the midlife crisis has receded a little bit, not because anything really changed, but you know, you just readjust to your new, but I still think about. Have you felt that some of these conversations have helped? Yeah, Sure. They've certainly helped me to put it in perspective to see how other people are thinking. I mean, as you know, these conversations, I don't know, 60, 70% of them are people telling me their life story, but the other 30, 40% is me tormenting them about my issues and seeing what they think. <laughs> I mean, I don't ask them about me personally, Good but you way know, of summarizing it. <laughs> asking them the questions about the things that are bothering me and see if it bothers them or how they, yeah. you know, asking, I've asked people about politics and global warming and, you know whether they think science is helping the world or not and all these things. So it's helped a lot to work through those things. And I think what I learned from it is mostly is that I'm not that different than everybody else, except maybe some of these things are a bit more conscious at the forefront of my Yeah. But when you probe people, a lot of them, I mean, that has been, has been a pattern throughout these podcast conversations. Like everybody will say, yeah, I ask myself these questions, questions as well. I mean, what, as a scientist, what can I do? Is there even something I can do? Should I even be doing something? Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. The podcast isn't new anymore, but it's still, still serving that function. I mean, I think some of the episodes this season, there are a couple where that didn't happen. I think I'm getting a little more, I'm a little less on edge about it. So sometimes the person just tells their story and I never get around to asking them, you know, uh, questions about politics, yeah. for example. Just totally but it still happens a fair amount of the time, and the answers are have some common themes, but they're also different. And has it become easier or harder for you to have these conversations, or more fun or less fun? It's certainly less new. The first few were just really, really. I got some kind of electric charge out of it. Mm -hmm. It was very. Uh, it was very therapeutic. It was. It was. There was some kind of uh, release to it. It's a different kind of communication. It's not just that we're recording. I think the fact that we're recording is gives a certain power to the conversation, but also just sitting and talking to someone for two hours with no interruption. You don't do that very much Yeah. these days. And I would ask people things that I'd wanted to ask them that I wouldn't have otherwise, but because we created the space for me to ask them things, I would. And so that has faded a bit. I mean, it's still like that, but it's less new. And so maybe less surprised by that also when it happens. Yeah. Well, that's another. Th so, so, but I, so it's still, it's still great to do it. And, the, and each 
guest is somebody I want to talk to and I have, and in most cases haven't spoken to at this length and in this depth in a long time, if in most cases never probably. Mm-hmm. So it's wonderful from that point of view. Listening back to them, I've, I've certainly become more attuned to how conversations go, you know, who's talking how much and I've learned that I sometimes can be a good listener, but sometimes interrupt people a lot, which I guess I sort of knew and my family sort of told me, but I didn't want to hear it. (laughs) (laughs) And so I've learned that I have some habits and they haven't really changed that much. I mean, I'd like to say that I've listened to all these things and learned how to, you know, be a better person or a better conversationalist or interviewer, but I'm not sure that's really true, but and the other thing that's happened, oh, the other thing I wanted to say, a thing that's happened is that I think, and maybe this is a problem for the podcast, or maybe it's not, I don't know, but is that I think now that we have enough episodes, so when I tell people, when I ask people if they want to be a guest on it, I say, you know, if you want to know how it is, here some ep- you can listen to some episodes, and then they do, and then they come in with much more pre... Oh, they prepare. They have an an agenda, or they know what they want to say, or... I think any some some or all of those things or maybe sometimes none of them but it's just they're not coming in cold. I mean so they mm-hmm. it, it's a less um it's different it's different when they have some set of expectations. Yeah. And they're not they're not surprised by. I mean I remember in the first season I asked Amy Clement all these questions about her about her life, you know, in high school and what she did and she said, "Wow, you really want to know." Yeah, if somebody stuff? has listened to to a few episodes <laughs> Nobody would be surprised, you know, if if you ask them questions about politics or how they got interested in science or, yeah, kind of yeah, these just repeating. details of their childhood, yeah. you know. Yeah. Sometimes we talk about people's childhoods for a long time and sometimes we don't. But, yeah, so I don't know how, I don't know how it's, we'll, we'll, we'll see how it, I'd be interested to see how. The other thing that's been nice is that, is that we now have, I mean, I don't know, our, 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 our audience is not enormous, but. It's um, a lot of it is scientists in our field and within the field, you know, we're a relatively small community and within that community, well, I'm sure it's still a minority of people who listen to the podcast, but it's a large minority. I mean, many people tell me they've been listening to it. Yeah. Who I didn't tell them about it. You know, they just come and say, I met all kind of grad students at AGU who said, oh, I, you know, I would meet them at their poster and they'd say, oh, I love the podcast. You know, that's very gratifying. I mean, we knew from the beginning that that would be our main audience and then, and, or at least that was the minimum audience we felt we well, yeah, have. Well, we always thought that it would be a fail, you know, if, if that, if grad students and other climate scientists don't like the podcast. Yeah. So I still don't know how many other people like it, but at least within this audience, I think the response has been very, very gratifying. And I think people are getting something out of it. And that that makes me want to keep doing it. Glad to yeah. hear that. But yeah, so now that we're about to release season three, do you want to say something about some of the guests that'll be featured in this season? Yeah, so I think I don't want to give the whole guest list because let's have a little element of surprise. But... um <laughs> I will say something about it and something about the theme. So our, our first guest, I will say, is going to be Isaac Held, yeah. which was a big one for me. He's probably my favorite living climate scientist. There are a lot, and there's a lot of great scientists, but Isaac I've always admired tremendously, and um, he's been a, a mentor to me 
and to so many people in the field and kind of just a guru figure and a, a just a unique scientist. So I was really happy about that one. He's number one. And then I won't say who the rest of them are, but I will just say that although I didn't really plan it, there several of the other guests have connections to Isaac and or have passed through GFDL, the Geophysical Fluid Dynamics Lab in Princeton, where he worked for many years and now is emeritus. So it's not quite the level of focus that we had on Mark Kane in the first season, but, you know, he kind of extent, naturally emerged as a, as it a kind of unintentionally point. happened that we had again, a very distinguished, eminent, important senior scientist who several of the other guests have connections to of one degree or another. And so that was nice. The other thing that emerged as a theme without me consciously intending it is scientific dynasties or parents and children. So we have, maybe people can guess based on this or maybe not, but we have two guests this season who are climate scientists whose one of their parent also was one or was in a very, very adjacent field in one of the cases. Um, and where that parent played a huge role, whether it was visible or not to outsiders or even to them sometimes, but um, people who's, who's, who are the descendant of somebody in the same field, the, the child of somebody in the same field and, and what that meant for their careers. There's ups and downs to it. Yeah. Although I have to say there are also, I mean, apart from those family dynasty theme that, that you just mentioned, there are also a couple of people um, in this season three that did not have any connections yeah. to, to science growing up. And I yeah. find, find it equally interesting to see how these people find, um, find their way into science. And, yes, yeah. that's right. We had a, we have a couple who, for whom it was almost the opposite. I mean, they really it really was a, I don't know maybe an unlikely event would be putting it too strongly, but people who came had nothing close to any scientist in their family, and how that how it ha there's some interesting stories there. And we also have one scientist whose children are in the field, and so that's another theme that happened. So we didn't really have any plan about any of that, but those are some things. And um, I think it's an excellent guest list. It's uh, diverse in a variety of ways. Yeah, I think there's a lot, a lot to look forward to. Yeah. I want to say another thing is that, you know, people have started suggesting to me, um, you know, people we should interview and, and I'm always interested in suggestions. But um, one thing we consciously decided not to do you know, although we have some some very prominent scientists who are very successful in the field, we've consciously not tried to make that the focus. I mean, to just get the most famous people. There's an element of oral history of the field. There's a lot of great scientists who you, if they've been around a long time and they've done a lot of important work, it's it's. I think it's an important part of what we're doing here to record their histories and their stories. But I don't want the emphasis to be on, I don't want it to be something where it's like some kind of, you know, measure of somebody's status or rank, whether we, you know, the, the criterion you've always emphasized to me when we've talked about this and I'm thinking, oh, geez, should we, somebody suggested I interview so-and-so and you've always said the number, number one, one criterion, criterion. <laughs> right. Number one criterion should be that it's a good conversation. And because I'm not a professional interviewer or a professional journalist, and I don't, <laughs> plan to become one for me the best way to predict 
whether I'll be able to, I, I, I need to have some confidence that it'll be a good conversation because I, other, if I, and so the best way for me to have confidence is if I know the person well, and I've had enough conversations with them before to know how it's going to go. Now, not everybody do I know so well, but a lot of the people I do. And so, so we have, we try to have a diverse range. Some are older, some are younger, some are very famous. Some most listeners won't have heard of yet, but that's the point. The point is the, is the, that it's a community of people in this field with a bunch of different experiences and identities and, and positions within the field and so on. And, and we try to, you know, it's, it's not like the greatest hits of climate science or the heaviest hitters or, or, you know, the, the people who are all in the national Academy or something like that. We have a couple like that, but that's not the point. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. You know, it's interesting when we started, I thought that we'd do scientists and then after a while, I'd want to do climate activists and more people in adjacent and related fields and sort of broaden the scope. And that hasn't really happened. I haven't made an effort that much to have it happen. And I mean, in the first season, we had Amitav Ghosh, who's a great writer, and Naomi Oreskes, who's a historian, and actually haven't had people. That's the most sort of intellectually diverse that we've gotten. Yeah, but I mean, it's probably also a consequence of you understandably wanting to interview people that you already know and the people in your circle, a lot of them are scientists. I mean, I'm totally fine with not having activists on the podcast or other people with agendas. I like people who can just speak their mind. I felt like initially there was this phase where you really wanted to bring in activists and other people who really, you know, um, who really want to be part of um, solutions, solutions to, to climate change, for example. Because I think yeah. you were deeply troubled by Trump's election and um, yeah. the fact that, you know, this looming, or I don't know whether you still see it like that, but I, I felt like you were really concerned about the future and how we as a society are going to deal with climate change and you really want wanted yeah. to bring in people who have a lot about have a lot to say about this specific problems and possible solutions to it and now it's more about yeah. having conversations with people you like and people you're interested in i think that's that's a good development this relaxation yeah well it's a combination of you know ha- having this feel i had a, i had a feeling of like what's our responsibility that was the question that was eating me what's our responsibility in this moment and I'm thinking about that less. I guess I've, I'm still thinking about it, but you know, at some point you have to accept that you can't change the world and you are who you are and you do what you do from the situation you're in, given all your limitations. And similarly with the podcast, you know, before we'd done it, I thought, okay, we could do this, but then we could do more things. But on, I feel like it's been enough of a gratifying success on its own terms that I felt like it was important to be satisfied with that. You know, I don't want to turn it into a profession. Mm-hmm. I don't want to feel pressure about it the way I do about my job. I don't want it to become part of my job. So I think the way to do that is to accept it for what it is. And it's been, and, and getting the positive feedback from colleagues and friends and students is, is, is more than enough. So I don't feel it needs to be famous or, or anything. Cause if it were, I'd, probably just get stressed out about it (laughs) yeah Yeah. 
fame involves a lot of stress, I'm sure. I mean, I wouldn't know, but... Presumably. And I'll say one other thing. We have our first guest who is the head of a government agency. Yeah. But I, but I won't say which agency or which country. <laughs> <laughs> Just to make a little suspense. <laughs> Very good. All right. Should we, should we leave it at that? Okay. Deep Convection, Season 3. Take off. Good. Okay. Hope you enjoyed that. Thanks for listening. And we'll see you soon in Episode 1 of Season 3. My co-creator and creative director and guest on this episode is Melanie Bielli. Our editing and audio post-production are by Duotone Audio Group, where our editor and post-producer is Stefan Wiener, although I guest edited this episode. And our audio engineer is Livia Wicks. My creative consultant and spiritual advisor is Minnie Jardine, and our original music is by Eli Sobel. I'm Adam Sobel. This is Deep Convection.